One, two, three. Harold and Brad. Windy City Filmmakers. Harold and Brad. Windy City Filmmakers. Harold and Brad. What's going on, y'all? Brad Stevens here for another edition of the Harold and Brad Witty City Filmmakers Podcast. HD, what's going on, brother? What's up, B? What's up? What's up? What's up? Nothing much, nothing much. We have a very special guest, a good friend, Yasmin Abidi's in the house. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> I haven't seen you in, what, 15 years or something? Oh, crazy like that? Something like that. It's been oh, a minute. Wow. All right. Right, right. It's been a minute and a half. Good to see you. Good to so, see you. you know, so the first question we, we always ask people is a two-parter, and it's uh, what's your connection to Chicago, and right. what kind of art do you create? Well, you know my connection to Chi-Town. I mean, I moved to Chicago... It was five days before the Twin Towers came down. And oh, I remember yeah. that right. incredibly well because it pretty much changed my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that was September 11th of 2001. Right. So five days before that, I moved to Chicago to start my first year of my MFA program at the theater school at DePaul. University and uh, yeah, five days into classes and got evacuated. I was like, okay, then. Wow. Here yeah, we, we go. All, we all remember where we were at that. No time. doubt. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was. It, it was. I can't even. I mean, I still to this day remember exactly how it all went down. Right. And exactly what I wrote in my journal that day after. I mean, and. And how I think I cried every single day for like every other day past that when I was like through school because it was just so hard. You know? Yeah, I understand. Yo, you know, so it's it's tripped out because I remember that day uh, as well. I remember um, and I was hopping on the train. I'm like, it happened before I was heading out going to the theater school. Yeah. And I was on the train. I was like, man, it's just so, just, it's like just a weird feeling on the CTA. We didn't even know what was going on. Right. So we were standing outside the building and everyone was kind of like, and then I remember somebody talking about, well, don't get on the L train because like they're talking about putting bombs on the L train and don't do this and don't do that. And I was like, holy smokes, how am I going to get home? Right. So my classmate, Derek Cole, remember Derek? Oh yeah. Derek. Yeah. DC. DC, So Derek, um, he, he um, basically was like, well, I drove here today. So a, a bunch of us from class piled into his car. And we ended up at his apartment, which actually was, he lived across the street from me. Like we were on Sheridan, I think it was Sheridan Rodeo across from Lake Michigan there. Okay. So we, he, so across from the beach. So I was across the road from him. My building was across the road from his. So basically, um, yeah, we all ended up in his apartment and then he turned on the TV and then we were like, oh my God. And that's basically when we found out visually we could see what, right. what why we were sent home. 
You know what's tripped out also real quick? It's just telling that story how much things changed between then and now having a cell phone because because I did not get my first cell phone until I graduated from DePaul. Like if, if it's like heaven forbid a situation like that would happen now, you would you would just know about it so much quicker because everybody has access to cell phones. And that was just um, you know, just that time period. <laughs> I know what you mean because I didn't have one either. Like I had right. literally it was five days into I'd moved there. I was just getting situated, you know. So it wasn't until in the middle of that year that I finally got set up with Verizon, I think it was. But yeah, I never owned a phone. So you're absolutely right. Right. You know, how we receive news today is so different from how it was back then. So, so tell us your art. What, what, did, what do you do now? What, what do you specialize in? So right now, like I've been here in, um, I live in North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, which is Pacific Coast, basically three hours north of Seattle by car. I have been working in the Vancouver film television industry since I got here. Okay. Uh, a little bit of theater, not so much. I really miss theater because it's, it's not a big theater town here. And that's one of the reasons why I love Chicago so much. For all those like awesome little black box spaces and you could right. just go in and have such close proximity to the audience and you could feel all that energy being like moved around in the room between oh, everyone. Yes. Yeah. I miss it so very much. But Good mostly question. I've been like doing film television sort of and, um, you know, but last year was a write off because like everything kind of shut down. It's back up now, but still with all the COVID protocols and everything, you know what I mean? There's so many different restrictions now. So like last year I booked, I booked a role on an MOW and that was all I shot. And I mostly like just stayed, um, I stayed in for a long time. Like I was following the, um, some, what's your name? Uh, Provincial health officers, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Uh, her, her sort of rules and regulations. So it was all about staying in, staying home, staying safe, you know. And um, those first three months, I, like I lost all of my jobs. I'm a contract worker, right? So... an animal care business on the side that's based on people going away and traveling and of course everybody canceled their trips right okay. nobody's yeah. going anywhere and then i work for a city the city of new westminster which is a city about an hour out of out of here uh and i work for um for them and do large-scale events 1500 people 700 people indoors it's like that was a big no-no so that that job has been out of question like i haven't done that I maybe had eight to 10 hours of work last year with it working, working there. So it's still shut down, right? Because right. we're not allowed to do any kind of inside event that's that big. And then the film industry shut down for a bit, right? So I was like, okay, what do I do? And I ended up for the first little while connecting with as many of my clients as possible. A lot of them are senior clients with compromised immune systems. And so right. I thought, well, I can help them out by volunteering to like grocery shop for them or something that they would be afraid to do because of the pandemic and because of their health. Um, so I did a lot of that. 
And oddly enough, um, what I've been working on during this, primarily since April 30th, um, is a documentary film that I'm going to be making. Um, it's my first time venturing onto that end of the camera, and I actually don't even own a camera. Like, I've been doing everything with my cell phone camera. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Kind of crazy, but I'm right. doing um, and it's because on April 30th, um, I actually found um, an owl that was injured oh. in the middle of the day. You know, normally you don't see owls in the middle of the day on the side of a busy street in a park. And there was blood running down the tree trunk. Oh. He was slowly dying he was being attacked by crows and i was like people had gathered and so there was a few of us that like stood around this trunk for like an hour until you know we called for help and help finally came and anyway long story short discovered that this owl had been poisoned by rodenticides oh. rodenticides are poisons that are put into these little black bait boxes that you might see outside establishments like food establishments, restaurants, grocery stores, um, private residences to keep rodents away from the buildings. Right. And inside these boxes are very, 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 very um, lethal poisons. But when a rodent goes in and ingests the poison, they don't die immediately. It takes three to ten days for them to... Oh, to die. So in that time, all the other wild predators that feed on rodents are now becoming poisoned when we call it secondary poisoning because as a result of eating these poisoned uh, rodents. So anyway, it's a huge issue. Tons of owls have been like dying and it also has been affecting other, some of our other wildlife like bear, a bear, like a black bear here. We have bears up here. A black bear got into um, a bucket of it that a resident had left out a few months ago and it's things like this. So it's become this whole thing about um, I've been petitioning our, my prov province, my provincial government, to ban the substances and replace them with more humane options. And it's kind right. of taken off. My petition almost has 13,000 signatures in like seven months. I've been working with my local government, my municipal and provincial, um, to like get get this um, changed. And already my, my municipal government has made changes and more municipal governments and other communities have made changes. So it's kind of a ripple effect that's been taking, taking effect here. And it's been really kind of neat. And so um, I uh, named the owl Lucky. And okay. petitioning for Lucky's Law to be implemented. And right. that's what I'm going to be making the documentary about, about my experience of, of you know, what can happen when one person speaks up and makes a, a change for the better. And it also is it for our own planet, for, for everybody on the planet. It's going to save our ecosystem because right now we're destroying it by throwing poisons down. Right. And not realizing the impact of how it's affecting other creatures that are, are living off of the, the animals that we're poisoning. Yeah. That we're intending okay. to poison, but not realizing we're poisoning everybody else. And in the States too, I know there's cases where kids have been poisoned by it as well. How did Lucky come, come out of this? So miraculously, um, when he was rescued, the, um, the volunteer rescuer said that she recognized the tag on his talon, on his little leg and under, above his talon, and that he had been rescued before by their organization. Right. So when 
they took him in and they worked on him and they found out that he'd been not only poisoned by rodenticides this time, but three weeks prior to me finding him, he had also been in for the same poisoning. Oh, so goodness. I, that this this owl survived two poisonings in three weeks is miraculous in itself. And also um, that the majority of people that do find owls that have been poisoned, they're usually finding them dead on the riverbeds. Right. And I live in like the woods, like I'm surrounded by woods. I'm two blocks from like a mountain. I'm in, I'm in North Vancouver where it's like, we are living on the land of these animals. Like we've built into their land. Right. So, you know, as it is, we've already taken away so much from them. And now it's like, can we not like help out a little bit and just start putting down things that are not poisonous that can do the same thing and they exist now? Maybe they didn't exist decades ago, but they exist now. Right. And since I started, you know, diving into this, I've received messages from people all over the world that, you know, um, about this very issue. And it's been incredible because I've connected with so many activists around the world, um, especially in California. Oh my gosh, the, the gal down there who's been fighting for nine years and finally um, they had a, a victory with their, their recent um, bill that they had proposed was actually voted on and passed in November about this issue to like get rid of these substances. But I mean, my God, nine years of fighting and I'm just starting. And right. I was like, who knew? How many people do you think about these things or know about these things? Most people are just like going along and walking right. and walking around doing their day and and not realizing that there's things around your you and your environment that are really affecting the ecosystem and are are poisoning our wildlife. Right. And oddly enough, oddly enough, it's kind of working by pulling putting these poisons down, it's working against what 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 we want which yeah. is to prevent um, rodent infestation. But by killing the rodents and poisoning by poison and then offering them up to all of the other wildlife, the other wildlife becomes poison and dies. Well, they're the ones that, that can take care of that situation. First and foremost, an owl can eat 1,000 rodents in a year. Right. 1,000, that's just one owl, wow. right? Whoa, so, wow. um, you know, by, 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 by losing them to these poison, it's not helping the situation. So that's kind of what I've been into. And it had I hadn't planned on it at all. It was just like, you know what? I'm an animal activist. I've always been for animals. But I was like, somebody's got to say something. Like somebody's right. got to say something in a way that people are going to notice more. Because I think people have been working on this issue in the past and have been working on it. And you know, not really getting anywhere where the issue been brought up to music, to governments, but it's been put on the back burner because other things are more important. I'm like, well, you know what? This is time for COVID and everyone's focused on COVID, but I'm like, this is also a time where I think we can bring up an issue like this again and make it stick and make it matter and make a change since people are making so many changes when it comes to COVID and how we do our lives.
Oh la la. Yeah.